What's up all you beautiful people? It's your boy Hobart coming to you on this very special episode of the Bartcast, episode 50. We did it. We made it. We here. Um and I'm stoked about this one today, I got to say. Uh today's guest is you know someone that I I really admire a lot uh both as a person as a coach and as a broadcast professional. Um, I first met Dan Dibley when I was a young, young kid, uh, going to, you know, these hippie parties out in West Marin. My mom would bring me and my brother to shout out the red house. And we're talking ping pong tournaments. We're talking clothing swaps. We're talking book swaps. We're talking potluck dinners. And, you know, Dan Dibley was quite a legend already at the Harvest Classic for being a champion. Um, he had won the ping pong tournament, I want to say two times in a row. I forget, forgive me, Dibs, if I got that wrong, but uh, he was a winner. And, um, you know, for those of you who don't know how a clothing swap works, essentially picture a room and it's filled with racks of clothes and on every rack, you know, someone has brought an item and they put their name on the tag. And if you see something that you like, you have to track down that person. This is very clever socializing, socializing tool. Uh, to get people to mingle, you got to go around the party. Hey, where's, who's Frank? Are you Frank? Oh no, you're the other Frank. Okay. I got to find that Frank. You end up having a bunch of conversations and then maybe at the end of it all, you're able to make a deal and, uh, maybe you get that fresh jacket that you had your eye on, but you got to give up a Jersey or something like that. So, um, I remember, you know, this is mid nineties, mid to late nineties and, you know, Adidas warmups were everything, you know, warmups had just hit the scene. I was obsessed. Uh, me and my brother, you know, single mom household. We didn't have a lot of dough, so we weren't necessarily always getting the freshest fits, but, uh, but time and again, you know, I'd find like a cool Adidas jacket or a pair of warm up pants. They were, were they too big for me? Undoubtedly. Uh, did that stop me? No. So I would, I would often go and hunt down who is this Dan Dibley that's on these tags. Um, oh, he's at the ping pong table. Oh, he's winning the tournament. Uh, you know, so my young psyche already equated the name with greatness and, uh, and then generosity as, as Dan, you know, would almost always humor, you know, the, the eight year old who wanted his oversized clothes. I don't think he ever necessarily wanted what I was offering or took that home, but he was happy, um, often to let me have like the big Adidas jacket or pants. Uh, so I always just had a warm, you know, warm feeling about, about this dude, just a great, a good guy all around. And, you know, years later when I got to high school, um, as you'll learn in this episode, um, Dan became, my coach, uh, at, at Sir Francis Drake high school, now Archie Williams high. And he was again, a champion coach taking our high school volleyball team to four MCAL, 
uh, league titles in a row and three North Coast sectional division titles in a row. Uh, incredible coach, uh, hilarious human being. Um, that was the second time our paths crossed. And then, you know, fast forward to, you know, the the mid-20-teens and um, me and my brother, diehard Warriors fans, really getting into the quickly building dynasty of the dubs and forget if it was Tony who introduced it to me or vice versa. We discover this radio show. Guess who the host is Dan Dibley. Um, I think at that point it was Jolo and dibs and it was just all the quippery, all the fast talking, all the humor that I loved from high school and now packaged up in a show. And I got to say, you know, 50 episodes in on this podcast, I'm really loving, uh, you know, talking into a microphone and making content and trying to entertain people with the trains of thoughts that come in and out of this this mental station. Um, and it really was a lot of years of, of listening, not only to podcasts in general, but to this radio show that Dibs was on it just kind of opened my mind up to how uh, how these shows are structured and how, you know, the different vernacular, whether it's drops, whether it's teases, whether it's tags um, that, that, that broadcasters employ to, to build a compelling story or a compelling show. And I really started listening to, to Dibs' show in particular, really kind of it changed my mind in a certain way where I started thinking in takes and the take is almost this like mental artifact of language. You know, you're giving a take, you're giving an opinion on something, you're making a statement. And sometimes that statement is intentionally right. Sometimes that statement is intentionally wrong. Uh, but if you're running a bit with another person, sometimes you got to be wrong for the sake of the bit. And you're going to argue that point you know, as much as, as you can to, to, to generate that humor. Uh, but a lot of times you're giving the take because you really feel it's right. And I think that that's also, you know, where a lot of good content can come from, especially if you can kind of get emotionally involved in it all in good fun, of course. So all that being said, uh, you know, dibs has been some, someone that's had an insp- inspirational effect on my life throughout the ages um, I'm a huge fan of his show these days. He's, he's on 95, seven, the game, the show's Willard and dibs. I highly recommend it. If you're into sports, it's a Bay area sports talk show. And, uh, and he's just tremendous. I just love his show. I love the style and it's really inspired me in trying to craft my own on air persona just to start to think about the ways that broadcasters communicate. So hoping some of that shines through in this episode Uh, This one really felt like an episode where I was reaching a little bit out of my comfort zone, kind of trying to, you know, not to not to blow too much smoke, but like this might be, you know, arguably one of the biggest, you know, you know, most famous guests I've had on this podcast. So I was very excited to have Dan on, you know, both from our personal connection, but also because. He is someone that I do look up to, that I do admire greatly, and uh, whose style, you know, I hope to emulate at least in my own small way, 
when I'm creating my own content. So thank you, Dibs, for everything. I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I hope that you guys all enjoy this conversation. Um, we get into a bit of the biographical aspect, talk some Drake High history, and some Warriors takes, because what's better than that? So I hope you all enjoy it. Um, I'm going to get out of the way now. Intro over. Uh, so we can jump right into the conversation. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Dibs on this episode 50 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. <laughs> the water, yo. The water's on our side, yo. We're running with the water. It's the best. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Bartcast. Man, I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Of course. It's uh, good to see you all grown up and doing grown up things, kid. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man now. You, know? <laughs> you are a man. It's funny because last time I saw you, and I don't know if I've seen you since, but last time I saw you, you were still just a boy, quite frankly. Just a boy, you know, defensive specialist playing oh, yeah. back row. <laughs> Get, getting tossed in the deep end and uh, oh yeah i was thinking about that the other day i have like one of my fondest you know high school memories uh you know playing playing uh drake volleyball i think it was the uh the north coast sectional finals and uh, i get the tap from from coach dibs uh hey hobie you're in go go serve it up you know full full uh Full door or full crowd in the gym. I think it was one of our, you know, from a basketball high school. It was one yeah. of our our rare sold out games kind of things, and uh, just getting that experience of of jumping into the game. Uh, I think I, I, you know, I always thought of myself growing up as like a soccer player, vol, uh, basketball. Uh, so you know, getting my varsity letter on the volleyball team was was very much a unexpected and welcome yeah. surprise. Well, it was it was cool because your brother played and your mom was kind of an assistant coach, kind of a, you know, a helper part of the staff and just the whole Valley vibe with, you know, Jasper and Ace and Marsha and all the rest, all the Valley people who I grew up with and knowing you as a kid and then having you be able to come up and be a part of the program with, uh, you know, your brother Chester, who was on the team, That's right. Chester Densmore, and just, it kind of felt like a full family vibe. And you know, the way I coached, which was, Hey, get in there, you know, yeah. get in there, make it happen or don't either way, the <laughs> love was there. And, uh, you know, you came through and those were some fun times. Dude, it was great. I mean, I, I think, you know, we were, we were, we were graced with such a, uh, overwhelming amount of talent on the team, but then, your coaching style was so loose and humorous. And I mean, you, you have this ability yeah. to really get everybody relaxed. And so I think that, uh, you know, I remember we had a couple players on the team that just, uh, what was it? Hacksaw just decided not to come to practices and 
Yeah. And he got some playing yeah. time anyways, you know, like I, if, of- you know, and normally, especially during the league play, we were dominating everyone. So, yeah. you know, we were able to get everybody involved and everybody got to play. And, you know, like you said, because it was volleyball too, the stakes weren't very high, you know, it, right. no one was really sweating boys volleyball. And, you know, we put together a little bit of a mini dynasty and then you came into it kind of halfway through. And because we were already rolling it, it, you know, gave me a little bit more latitude to do things a little bit differently. But uh, part of that too was, was the community, you know, just the whole Marin County, the West Marin vibe of inclusion and, you know, participation and making sure that everybody feels good about it. It really kind of fit with my coaching style. It's really a, like a coach Kerr coaching style. I feel yeah, like. a little bit getting everybody playing time, kind of getting everybody experience pre playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess our Steph Curry would have been uh, Tahan. Yeah. Uh, although he's more of a Draymond figure when you think about Tahan and the edge that he brought with the, what the 36 inch vertical or. That was oh yeah. No <laughs> doubt. He, he was, was a force. My time too. I, I remember yeah. watching cause my mom, I think was assistant coaching with you. Yeah. And I remember going to a couple of those games and just watching that, that crazy vertical leap. But I think by the time I came on the scene, it, I think that title maybe was, was passed to the phenom, the, the freak himself. Right. And you were what class of 06. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Class of 06. It's so my last year was 04, which would have been your sophomore year, which yes. I think was the year that you're, uh, you're talking about. And that's when we had eight seniors on the team. And so, I mean, we were 32 and seven that year. We were a total juggernaut, but yeah, when what, it came, what was the longest win? I, I, didn't we have like an 80 game win streak? Or I think something? it was about 48 in league. 48. That's, yeah. That's pretty good. In league. We didn't lose in league. Uh, I guess the 2001, our first MCAL title year, we were three and two halfway through league. And then we won our last five. And then the next three years, we didn't lose at all in league. So it was basically three and a half years. My last three and a half years, we did not lose in league. And by the way, we didn't lose a set either in league. It was 3-0 all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to be it's easy to be creative when uh, when you're winning a lot, right? Right. And you know, you go up 17 to 4, you can throw Hobie in there and you know, exactly. have you play, you know, a few shifts in the back row. Not that you didn't deserve it, but you know, when there's a bit of a cushion mm-hmm. and the win streak's not on the line, you can be a little bit more uh, free-flowing. Oh yeah. And and you know, I I think that uh it's important to note that uh, that you gave me a lot of starts too. I I, I didn't yeah. really feel like I was, uh, you know, someone that was thrown in in garbage time either. Like right. like I think there was enough of that that buffer when you have an average height of like six six four six five on your on your front line. You can yeah. throw a little five three Hobie in the back row, and I'll I'm gonna dive. I'm gonna dig. You know. Yeah, it's a specialist. And you had those natural <laughs> instincts. And like you're saying, you were an athlete as well. So yeah. athleticism, you had a volleyball background through your mom and just through the general Valley vibe. And you were an eager learner. You know, you wanted to be in there. You wanted to not let the team down. And so all those things made it to where you were an easy one to pop in there. Well, I, I appreciate it. And you of know, course, my, my two career kills, I think, will. uh, mm-hmm. Will go down in history. So nice. <laughs> I think my my favorite stat from those years was uh, it was um, the 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 plus minus of Morgan's 
opposing team volleyball uh, liberation. Oh yeah, post game. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I remember. I actually ended up living with Morgan and his now wife uh, for oh. about six months a couple years ago in, in over by Lake Merritt, and uh, we had a lot of good reminiscence about the good old days. And yeah. Um, it was super sweet to, to, to have that period of time with them. And yeah, he's a great guy. And, uh, you know, I got to know his wife a little bit. Uh, I went to their wedding, nice. which was in Jack London square. And, uh, Morgan still, he, he did something that almost no player has ever done to me and for me. And that's he and David Henderson, they pulled me aside. I think it was their senior year and we were in a tournament. We might've been at Los Gatos or down in San Jose and, you know, I had gone off and, you know, kind of lost my cool. And I was yelling at them, trying to get them to play better. And Morgan and Hendu pulled me aside and they said, you know, coach, when you yell at us, it doesn't make us want to play harder. It makes us not, not want to play at all. So as you're going through and I know you're frustrated, we're doing our best. You know, if you if you think about in those moments to be able to step back and realize that, you know, yelling at us is not going to get the result you want. And I remember sitting outside the gym and these two 17, 18 year old young men are basically coaching me. And I'll never forget it because I, I, in that moment, I was like, man, thank you. Thank you guys, boys or men, or, you know, <laughs> to have that sort of perspective and that confidence. And, you know, I also give myself a little bit of a credit because I did create that atmosphere where, it felt like it was a complete community. You know, they, yeah. they felt free to be able to come to me and say those things. But the fact that they did that in that moment, you know, I was at first like, Oh, you know, who are these kids to try to, <laughs> of course, but then I stepped back and it was like, wow, you know, that was so cool because they were right. I was, you know, I was out of control, maybe punching the metal clipboard. Yeah. You know, I ran a little bit hot at times <laughs> still do by the way, but for them to be able to to pull me aside yeah. and have that moment with me it's something i've never forgotten it's, it's amazing the the uh you know phil jackson stephen kerr dan dibley the you know the kind of evolution of the totally the, the family-based team dynamic uh in which everybody really feels part of the you know the cohesive whole i think that the model is is showing uh, results yeah. across the decades. And you see Steve Kerr and he's very much like Phil Jackson. And I, at the time was, you know, looking at Phil Jackson and what he did. And there's so much of that. And John Wooden, the same thing, you know, going back to the old John Wooden days where one of his credos was share the ball and share your food, basically mm -hmm. share more than just what happens on the court. You have to share yourself and, you know, what I tried to create in our little boys volleyball environment was, you know, we're all doing this together and volleyball is perfect for that because if there's no pass, if there's no set, there can be no spike. And that's where with Tahan, the great Tahan Minikov, best player in Marin County history, it took a long time for me to be able to impart that lesson to Tahan to let him know that, you know, yes, you can jump 36 inches and you've got this rocket arm. But if we don't have a bump and a set, then your skill cannot shine. And so it was, you know, kind of going through that as a community, which ultimately led us to win the first MCAL title. We won four in a row, three NCS crowns, and it all kind of spun off of that 
that one idiom. Right. Yeah. Do, do you, have you, have you, have you gone back and looked at the records? Like, are you the most winningest coach in Drake now, Archie Williams high school history? I'm not sure on total wins, but I know as far as North Coast section championships, I'm the only one with uh, with three. The triple uh, yeah, I know that uh, Julie Lanzarin, Tahan's mom, got one. And I think Neil Davidson got one. Uh, John Headland, who eventually would follow uh, Neil, who followed Julie. I think he got one. Maybe he got two. But I don't believe anyone's gotten three, let alone three in a row. It's a lot of penance. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not about me. It was about getting there in a moment where, you know, we had Tahan as a sophomore and our first year, we were one in 13 in league. We were four and 20 overall. We were terrible. And, you know, we had Nick Hawley, also a sophomore, and we had a group of ragtag freshmen and we were terrible, but it, it was so fun for all of us that the next year, almost everybody came back. And then I got that freshman class that you talked about, Morgan, David Henderson, uh, Dan Saracen, who was my back row specialist from let freshman me bang, on. Dan, let me bang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let me bang, Dan. And uh, Andreas Brilka, a.k.a. Tongan Thunder. Oh, yeah. Uh, Daniel Matson, who would come. He played JV the first year. Your, your brother, Chester Densmore. Mm-hmm. All these kids came in together. And Andy Johnson when Andy Johnson joined the team the next year as a sophomore, that changed the program forever. Mm. How so? Like what, what did he bring? Well, he brought what I like to call gravitas because (laughs) once the word went around campus that Andy Johnson quit baseball to play boys volleyball, which at the time was a chick sport. Yeah. Right. Which nowadays you can't, I mean, you can't even say that. Right. And nor should you, but Mm -hmm. 2001, we we won league with Tahan leading the way. We lost in the NCS finals. That's when I had uh, Hendu and all those guys as freshmen. Morgan actually had a bad shoulder. He could not spike his whole freshman year, so we had him serve lefty. And I'll never forget, in the NCS final, he did this lefty jump serve where he would run to the line and he would broad jump he would throw it up and do this little like lefty punch. Like a dink almost. <laughs> totally. It was unbelievable. And I had him do that in the NCS finals as a freshman. And then he would go on to be the phenom, AKA Fifi, AKA the freak. He was an all league player, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, but as a yeah. freshman, he was doing this lefty jump serve. And then skip ahead to next year, 2002, when they were sophomores and Andy Johnson decided not to play baseball and he decided to play volleyball. And I'll never forget the ripple that went through the campus. Like, oh, my God, AJ's playing. He's playing what? Right. And as soon as he left baseball to play volleyball, that's when the program officially became a thing. You know, it, it wasn't just some niche program that happened to do well. It was like, oh, my God, volleyball is cool. Andy Johnson's playing volleyball. Yeah, also a star on the basketball team. That you know, exactly just watching him in middle school come into the Drake games when that was the hot thing to do. Yeah, that's yeah, dope, and that's man. yeah, and that's where you know in in O two, which was I think Tahan's senior year, we went on we won North Coast section, and then O three, uh, Pete Elliott and Keith Fleming in that class they won the title of seniors, and then the O four year that you were referencing earlier we won a third title. And by the time we got to Oh four, I had two kids and, you know, quest was born in Oh one. 
Keon was born in 03. And when Keon was born in 03, my then wife said, you know, that's it. You got to stop. I mean, no more volleyball. We lived in Oakland. I was coaching in Marin. I wasn't getting home till six, six 30. And I said, I got to come back for one more year. I've got eight seniors who started as babies. They were my babies, you know? (laughs) And I had Hobie. I had to, you know, your brother played a little here and there. I don't need sponge man cub, all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Justin James. And, uh, of course we had, uh, the, the franchise, the chives, uh, Joey Doyle. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So the, I mean, the chives was coming up. And Mm -hmm. so I told my, my then wife, now my ex, I said, I need one more year. I said, you know, these seniors, we're going to do something special. And we won a school record at the time, 32 games, 32 and seven. We took third at the UC Davis tournament, which was unheard of for a Marin team at that time. And so after that year, I had to, I had to bow out. Yeah. I remember that. That was, I don't think I, I didn't end up playing. I think I went to a couple practices the next, you know, the next season or a couple of tryouts and it just, the magic didn't feel the same. I ended up putting that energy like back into soccer and I think skateboarding at the time or whatever. But uh, yeah, I I wanted to ask you, did you, um, you know, to kind of pivot and build off that, uh, were you already um, broadcasting at that time? Like for the, for the people listening and watching who are wondering, you know, who is this, you know, charismatic, figure sitting across from nice. my beloved host uh how do you you know how do you describe uh what you do professionally can we give people a little bit of context yeah i'm a sports talk radio host on 95.7 the game and you know i'm a late bloomer what happened was i in 93 i kind of flunked out of college at cal state northridge and i went back and worked in marin at Ross as a PE teacher and I coached at Santa Fe high. And then in 98, I got married and I was still coaching a club and I was, you know, working multiple jobs, trying to make it in broadcasting. And then about 2000, I got a job on one Oh seven, seven, the bone doing the morning show. And then in two, also in about uh, yeah, 2000, Michelle Bravelli, who's a Marin County legend, she was coaching Drake boys volleyball. She coached them in 99, the first year they had a program. And I think they were winless. And she came to me and said, I'm not going to coach anymore. Uh, they need a coach. If they don't get a coach, the program is going to fold. And so at the time I was doing a little bit of morning radio. And so an afternoon coaching gig actually worked out. Okay. I lived in the city at the time. And so I was broadcasting in the morning and then I would go, do whatever I did midday. And then I would go coach Drake in the afternoon. And so by the time 2004 came, my broadcasting career had really taken off and I had gone from, you know, a sidekick to a featured host. I got fired and then I went back and I was doing traffic. And so at 2004, I had two kids and I was trying to make that next big leap in broadcasting. And so that was partly why I had to step away from coaching what uh you, you, there was a time right when you were doing the mls games right was that where did that fit into the uh the timeline or the chronology? that was a little bit further down the road so okay. 2004 i quit coaching at drake and i focused just on broadcasting and about 2005 i got a, cho- a job doing uh 
helicopter traffic for KRON. That's awesome. Channel four. So now I'm doing mornings and afternoons. So I can't coach anymore. I do a year of Chopper Dan. And then in yeah, 2006, I got a job at KNBR on the KNBR morning show. And uh, at the same time, I was kind of feeling the itch about coaching. And so I'm looking for coaching jobs and living in the East Bay. And the St. Joe's job opens up, St. Joe's in Alameda. And so I was like, ah, let me just see. So I apply for the job and I go have a meeting with the athletic director. And, you know, in the meantime, I'm, I'm working on KNBR and my career is starting to rise, but I've got afternoons free and I miss coaching. So I go through this interview and I'm thinking, well, you know, I just, I can't do it. So I go home and I write an email to the AD. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation. It was great. Best of luck. Boom. I hit send. It's done. Three days later, I get a call and the athletic director says, Hey, uh, Dan, I never heard back from you. And I said, wait, I sent you an email. So I go to my email, my drafts and, or my, my sent items, the email never got sent. <laughs> so during the time that I sent the email and got the phone call, I was kind of having regret about saying no to the job. And so when the AD called me and said, yeah, I never heard from you. And I said, well, I sent the email. He said, I never got it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take that job. <laughs> so I coached three years at St. Joe's in Alameda. This was volleyball as well. Boys volleyball, uh, three league titles and, uh, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008. And then by the time we get to 2008, that's when my TV career had really started to percolate. And, you know, now I'm missing matches because I'm doing high school TV. I'm, you know, I was doing all kinds of TV. And so I had to tell the St. Joe's AD, I can't do this anymore. And then three years later is when I started working for the San Jose Earthquakes. That's awesome. Did, was was uh was broadcasting something that you were always interested in? Like, how did that kind of take root in your mind as an uh, ambition of yours? It started when I was about four years old, you know, and when I was uh, living in Fairfax and my brothers played Little League at Central Ballfield right there in downtown Fairfax. And I would go watch their games. And, you know, I was the bat boy, usually for both teams and chasing down foul balls and getting hot dogs and I basically was the little league mascot. And if you actually look at the 1975 Fairfax little league program, I am on the cover. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. And I'll send you the picture because Please, it, love it's that. my all time favorite picture. I've got a hat slightly askance. I'm my eyes are only half open because I'm exhausted. My half shirt barely goes like halfway down my torso. My gigantic belly is poking out. And my hands are half crammed into my corduroy pants. It is the, it's the saddest, most beautiful picture ever. Uh, 1975 Little League program. And during that time, they used to let me do public address announcing, you know, not for the whole game, but they'd let me up in the booth and now batting Jimmy Smith, <laughs> you know, and I, I was on the mic and I absolutely loved it. So for me, ever since I can remember, I've wanted to be on the mic and, you know, in that center of attention spot. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's certainly something I, I noticed, you know, playing for you on the team, just, you know, half the fun was just listening to the dibs banter. And right. The, right. Know, so quick on your feet with the words. That was definitely like, 
And, you know, I think there was, it was a quite often that uh, we'd all end up on the floor kind of just like crying out of laughter. And yeah, that was really a, a huge asset in, in cutting through nerves and, and getting everybody really loose and relaxed and feeling light. like, like uh, although we had a job to do, um, it was still joy. It was still fun. There yeah. Was love in the room. So yeah, love and fun. And, you know, unfortunately now in 2022, uh, you know, some of the material I was running, some of the approach that I took, <laughs> I don't know if it plays now, right. but you know, 20 years ago, pre social media and, you know, now the scrutiny of all coaches and of all, and I'm not saying that I was an inappropriate role model, but I mean, you're intimating accurately. There were times where, you know, my banter, my jargon, you know, whether it was the, uh, the jugular or the snip snip mm -hmm. or, you know, some of the other imagery, I don't know necessarily now if they, uh, if they play in this cancel culture, politically correct environment that we live in. Yeah. The, the neo puritanical regime as, as it would, as it were, it's just different, you know, and <laughs> yeah. unfortunately now it's like any, any moment in time can be taken and taken out of wild context. And all of a sudden now it's like, I can't believe you would, you know, this or that. And, you know, at the time I was, what, 20 years ago, I was 33. And, you know, we were just a group of men and young men having fun and, you know, competing and working for a goal. And, yeah, you know, it, it, it just seemed like things were a little bit more tolerant back then. Well, I think also that style of communication, I know for me, myself, and I'm sure for many of the other players, you know, when you're sitting in class all day and you're kind of dealing with adults who are on script in this very kind of constricted uh, communication style to then step into the gym with a coach who is yucking it up with you. It, <laughs> Unscripted. Actually, yeah. That, I mean, that builds trust, right? Because then, yeah. you know, it's and, and like you said, it wasn't like there was any sort of inappropriateness, but it was more like this this willingness to get goofy, to get silly, to to take off the cool jacket. And, and I saw that really setting people at ease because it, it, it gives us opportunity. Like we can all be ourselves out here. We don't have to like hold to the rigidity of a, of an institutionalized context. Yeah. And that's actually a great way to put it. And that's why I think that Andy Johnson and, you know, we made reference to him before, but that's why he left baseball, which is much more of a rigid game. You know, you've got the, the two white lines and the plate and the strike zone and all these rules. And, you know, baseball is very serious game. And that's why he came to volleyball because, you know, the, my practices, my, my structure was one of complete non-structure. The only rule about practice was, you know, as soon as everyone shows up, we're going to do a two hour practice. There was no start time. It was very fluid. So we had guys, you know, guys would come right away after, after school and, you know, start getting warmed up and other guys would come later. And, you know, whenever the last player came, let's run and we'll go two hours from there. And it was very, very free flowing. You know, if you had something to offer to the group, say it, you know, there's no judgment. We're all in this together, you know, and that's always been the way I've liked to run it because honestly it's after school sports, it's high school sports. Nobody on our team went on to play professional volleyball. Right. Now I, I feel good that many of us 
many of my former players have gone on to coach, which, I mean, that's the biggest compliment you can pay a guy. Right. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you again, a little shift in a topic. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've been a fan of your shows for the last probably four or five years. Me and my brother both have, have listened. Yeah. I think we came on the, you know, the, the, our refreshment of the dib scene happened when you were on Jolo and dibs, um, during, you know, and it really lined up with the warriors, uh, you know, these, this kind of three and five win win streak. Um, and one thing I've noticed about your shows a lot is, you know, just the rapport and the dynamic, this kind of, uh, adversarial back and forth that uh that you tend to favor with your co-hosts all in good fun all all joking around but i was just curious you know myself someone who's trying to develop uh you know my own rapport when i do when i make content with others uh like how do you go about in building that dynamic with you know when you're broadcasting with other professionals um what is that process like for you um to create like in this in this space where you're you're working collaboratively, but there's still, you got to kind of build in some tension to keep it interesting. Yeah. I think the first thing is just the trust factor. And, you know, it took a long time with Jolo and dibs to get to that, that trust factor because, you know, Joe, very smart, very good, well-prepared professional, uh, really organized. He, it took him a little bit of time to adjust to my kind of curveball approach because you know, this Hobie from, the volleyball days, I like to be off the cuff and mix it up and, you know, the unexpected and have some fun. And Lorenzo Neal, former football player, not a classically trained radio personality, but a great personality. It, you know, in a three-man show is, is difficult because you're not always going to have a place where all three of you can be in a common space. A lot of times it's player A and player B, player A and player C, B and C, so it's trying to avoid that sort of three-person dynamic. So that took some time. With Mark Willard, my new partner, I've known him for 15 years. Even though we just started doing radio together, I know exactly who he is. He knows who I am. And so that trust barrier was easy to kind of get over, you know, because even though we may disagree and, you know, we may not always see eye to eye on everything, there's that trust factor of we both want the same thing, which is to have a good show, to have a safe space where we can have some fun, do the topics and, you know, part as friends every day. And it's, you know, a lot of fist bumps. And there have been a few moments where during the commercial break, the mics go off and, you know, I say, hey, you know, I this made me uncomfortable or he said, hey, don't go there with that. And it's like, OK. But because that trust was there, you know, the overarching commonality of we both want the same thing. We want to talk sports. We want to have fun. We want to enjoy this three hours. And as long as that is like the template, everything else falls into place. That's that's beautiful. Was was that something that. Like, did you guys do, you know, when, when you had the idea for the show, um, is that is this was this something that you kind of planned out before, or did you just both kind of show up on day one, turn the mics on, and just start flowing with each other? Like, how much goes into that 
to that building of that. I know you said you you've been working for 15 years or you've known each other for decades. Yeah. You've each kind of developed your on-air personas, I'm sure independently. Um was it really something where you just kind of plug and play and it's like okay, we're going to figure this out on air as we work or is there do you have a series of meetings? Like what is that process like? Well, normally you have, you know, maybe a series of meetings. Like I've had shows where we did a whole week where we're going to get together for, you know, one to two hours, five days. We're going to really go through it. We're going to whiteboard it. We're going to talk about roles and content and all that stuff. This show was one conversation, one hour. It was uh, Mark and I and the program director. And it was basically philosophical. Like, what do we want this show to be? And, you know, Mark did a solo show on KNBR for the last three or four years. So, for Mark, it was a bit of an adjustment to do partner radio. And for me, it's more of an, an adjustment to the day part, nine to noon. You know, if you do morning or afternoon drive, it's a little bit more hardcore, but you get to the mid and, you know, between nine and 12 o'clock, people are at work. Most people, the commute's over, you know, you're settling into your day. And with the internet now, we all know what happened in the warrior game. You know, we don't have to go through play by play detail by detail, possession by possession, big games. Yes, we can break it down, but in general, it's about your feeling. How did that make you feel last night when they went to Dallas and clay couldn't, couldn't shoot. And Steph did not take a shot in the fourth quarter. Moody was great. Kerr's rotation. Draymond's not playing. Wiggins was quiet pool off the bench, you know, so you start to go in through all that. But for us, it's really more about the feeling of it more than it is. Well, you know, with 412 to go, I thought that the the screen Mm -hmm. and roll and, you know, but, but again, it's nine to noon. So it's a little bit more of an easy, you know, you're into your day now. It's not pregame. It's not postgame. What are we doing? Yeah. And the, is would you consider like six to ten? Is that kind of like the prime time for morning radio? Yeah, or, six to nine you, usually. Or six to nine, like that. That was the Jolo and Dibs hours, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, we uh, we actually did six to ten. Okay. Uh, which we've all the shows now are three hours instead of four hours, which I think is a little bit better. You know, you get to three hours, you start to burn out a little bit, or you know, the fourth hour tends to be a little bit choppier. That's yeah. That's where you're stretching time and yeah do you guys write bits ahead of time or are, are bits something that it kind of evolve organically I, I notice you know that you guys have a um you know it's like a shout out jasper Thelen. uh there's this mentality on the show that's kind of like a just say yes like you know if someone or just say no but like i see those decisions being made where it's like yes this is gonna breathe and we're, we can get some time out of this or like, yeah no i'm gonna like play the heel or i'm gonna like you know, I'm going to go against you in this and then we can like get it, get some time out of that dynamic as well. Um, but do you, do you write the bits often beforehand? It depends. We do some of the bits uh, that are written beforehand. Like, you know, Mark does some, uh, some great voices. He does a Gabe Kapler impersonation that we call Gabe Yapler, uh, the <laughs> Giants manager. He's got this big, deep voice. And so a lot of times that's off the cuff. He does an NFL films voice. Uh, the great Harry Callis, rest in peace. Mark does a Harry Callish. That one we script a lot uh, so that, you know, we can play the music, the old NFL films music, and he can 
you know, deliver that more scripted. But the number one rule of improv is yes and. So if I'm going with something and we do a thing, we do a couple different bits that are on the fly. Like, I don't know, know if you remember the old Sally Struthers commercials uh, oh, yeah. about like, you know, for just 41 cents, <laughs> you know, the whole thing about, you know, if you could send money to feed the hungry in mm-hmm. Africa. And so we do, a, we do one of those bits where the board op will play. I will remember you. <laughs> yeah. I think it's Cheryl Crow. Yeah, yeah. So when the music hits, we both know that it's my time to do the, you know, the Sally Struthers and whatever the bit is, it's the music that carries it. And, you know, we do a Godfather homage where he'll play the Italian music and, you know, I'll do the Godfather. We'll do a little bit of the Godfather voice. And so that's, those are off the cuff, but you know, those are usually triggered by the music and uh, you know, the board op and the producer, Kyle and Spadoni, Mm -hmm. they do a really good job of listening and following what's going on and, and augmenting what's happening. Yeah, their 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 drop game is is legendary. Like, and, and yeah. I see that being such a requiring such a delicate touch, right? Because too much, and it's stepping right. on the conversation. Too little, like, what's the point of having it? But like, but they're so good at at uh, just with the timing and and you know even just thinking about you know I don't know how many tens or hundreds of drops that you guys oh hundreds yeah hundreds and that's all spadoni yeah yeah quickly access them and and throw it down and yeah and it's part of that is them being engaged you know and and if we're not being entertaining then the guys behind the glass they're going to tune out and that's you know it's just human nature so we try to keep the conversation going and then they'll augment with drops and then kyle will come in with his insights he's really smart he knows sports very well. We'll go to the phones, play some, some audio. It's kind of a, you know, the show that we want is more of that round table as opposed to just, you know, two people arguing or two people pontificating. Right. And, and he did great, by the way. I, I listened to the episodes he did with you. I think it was earlier this week uh, when Willard stepped out. Yeah. Uh, and I've noticed since he came on and did those shows, he, uh, an increase in his confidence. Certainly this morning, he, yeah. he was, uh, seemed like he had a little more, uh, you know, fire in, in his uh, contributions. Yeah. And he does weekends and, you know, he's been doing on air shifts in our station for about three years. So you know how it is like you playing volleyball, the more you get out there and you do it and you realize you can do it, you want to do it more. And when you do do it, no matter what it is, you're going to have more confidence doing it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. As well as, you know, I think that the more times you go through like the difficult moments and are able to think your way out of them creatively, like so much of it is confidence. Like I was talking with, you know, I I think, I don't know if this is the same for you. I've definitely, I feel like my brain has been influenced by listening to sports talk radio in this way (laughs) where like in any given time, I kind of think of it as the, uh, like the Fairfax festival uh, mindset. Like if you've ever gone to a Fairfax festival, Oh, so many, it's this big, it's just like this big street fair. It's really like the unofficial uh, high school reunion. And <laughs> in my twenties, especially, you know, I'd walk through Fairfax festival and it's like, it's just a collection of five minute conversations and it's, and you got to have your beats. It's like, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I did. Here's where I'm going. And I've noticed in my adult life, 
so often now, uh, and especially doing this podcast now for the last couple of years, I'll usually have a couple of topics floating around in my head that I have takes about and, you know, philosophical or, you know, uh, spiritual takes or whatever things that I'm thinking about life. And, uh, and then, you know, interacting with different individuals, you kind of get to try those out and see what people throw back at you. So, yeah. um, one of the things that's coming up for me lately is I watch, uh, the NBA and, and this, this year's story evolve. Um, you know, I, I, like a month ago I, I was watching a game and I had to remember, I reminded myself like every one of these players, not just on the court, but on the bench is the greatest player in their high school, in their County, like in a generation at least. And so you have this collection of like talent that is almost impossible to comprehend for the, for the common person. Um, and for me, like that X factor really is, as I'm watching, it's like with all that talent, with all the reps, uh, who can actually, you know, cause you, you see at, at times, you know, really with, you know, Pascal last year, I think was a great wow. example of it or two years ago, he had that like streak where he was just, I thought he was going to be like the next star of the franchise. He was looking really good. I got a lot of love for him. I bought this Chinese knockoff Jersey. Uh, and then he kind of fell out of his, uh, you know, he kind of slumped and it was like, was that a regression? But this is a long way of me bringing up this point. Um, I feel like that X factor really is a lot of times uh, the mentality that you can bring on the court can you be comfortable? Can you be loose? You know, we've seen, I think with Jordan Poole, great example, such an incredible amount of talent. And for the first couple seasons, it seemed like he was just needing to build up that confidence in himself. And now we're seeing when he is able to get loose and relaxed, you know, just what he can do out there. Yeah. And that's a good lesson for everyone, no matter what it is you do it is, you know, you got to have the confidence and, you know, like you said, you know, for me, it's like, okay, I was the funniest guy at Marin Catholic in my high school. And I was, I thought I was the best broadcaster. And then you go to college and, you know, I'm doing broadcasting there. And I, I see that I'm one of the two or three best broadcasters in my college. But when you get up and you try to get on a show and, you know, for me, the big wow moment was when I was on KNBR with Gary Radnich, a guy who I grew up watching on TV and, listening to on radio and it's like all of a sudden now I'm doing sports updates on his show and he's asking me questions and it's, you know, the mic is on and it's my time to shine. And, you know, the first couple of times, you, you know, you think you're doing great and then pretty soon you, you're doing well for a couple of weeks and it's like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm actually here and I'm doing it at this level. I can do it at this level. But then you realize that you got to do it again and again and again, and that's where, you know, Eric Pascal, he had a great, you know, couple month run. And then all of a sudden he flatlined and he went to Utah and, you know, now he's not as prominent and Jordan Poole's kind of hitting that same lull where, you know, yeah, you can do it, but can you do it time in and time out day after day? And that's, you know, no matter what job you're in, that ultimately becomes the big challenge. You know, if you're a salesperson or, if you're a teacher or no matter what your career is, you realize that the humbling part of life is, you know, you get up the next day and you got to do it again. Right. Yeah. How do, how do you maintain consistency 
you know, and consistency at a level that you're, you're still pushing yourself. You're still yeah. improving. Well, part of that is not beating yourself up when you have bad days and, you know, not heaping too much shame on yourself. You know, you don't get too high in the highs. You don't get too low in the lows. You realize that, you know, there is another day like this week. We had a good week of shows, but come Monday at uh, 855, when we jump in there for the crossover, it doesn't matter. The audience doesn't care. The audience won't say, oh, you know, Dibs is flat today, but that's okay. Last week he was terrific. It's like they push the button. They're gone. The audience, you know, and that's life though. And that's the reality of, of almost everything. And it's not to say that people aren't loyal or they won't give you a second chance, but it's the nature of like the sun goes down, the sun comes up, it's a new day and you either do it or you don't do it. And if you don't do it enough times in a row, you're gone. And if you do do it enough times in a row, then you get promoted, you get a raise. What have you done for me lately? Yeah. And it's not to say that people, you know, won't look at your body of work and give you the benefit of the doubt, but especially in radio and you do it, I do it all the time. Like on my drive into the, into the station in the morning, Mm -hmm. I put on the radio and whatever station I'm listening to, if I don't like what they're doing, especially for me, even though I know like 90% of the people on the radio, cause I've been doing it for so long. It's like, I love you so-and-so, but you're not <laughs> doing it for me. You're gone. Right. right. You know? Yes. Yeah. No hard feelings, but I want to be entertained. I mean, especially, and, and you're kind of poised, I think, you know, in a really unique perspective, having, having been in radio as our country has moved into this, like, content saturated reality that we live right. in now the 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 competition for attention has never been higher right there's more hours of content out there than uh than any of us has the time to it to ingest um so i'm curious like what is your own habits you know i know as part of your job i'm, I'm guessing you kind of just always have to be living in sports um you know what's your patterns like with you know do you have time for netflix do you have are you able to like get out to a movie every now and then or? Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Is, is uh, net, that- yeah. Netflix for sure. Uh, you know, without a doubt, uh, a lot of Netflix. Uh, I was just watching uh, inventing Anna. I don't know if you've heard of it, but no, it's about it. uh, Anna Delvey, who is a, a scamster, a socialite scammer. Uh, there's another thing on Netflix that Wait, was, was called... that the one, the, the, the woman that did the like health test, the health tests at home. No, no, no. This is the one who uh, pretended she was a New York socialite and tried to get these banks to fund her loan. She said she was a German heiress. Okay. Uh, the actress from Ozark played gotcha. Anna Delvey. Okay. Uh, and the other one was Tinder Swindler which <laughs> is a movie about uh, this guy who would go on Tinder and he was swindling these women out of money, uh, mm. posing as somebody he wasn't. So yeah, there, there's enough time for some of that programming. Do you do you have a particular um, like like a decompression, uh, you know, show or, or like like I'm guessing if you're living in the world of sports, like do you have something else that you listen to when you're like need to be like ah, or do you just enjoy the silence or? I'll put on some music. Uh, like lately, yesterday I was on a Mary J. Blige run. Nice. Where and her catalog is so deep. I'll go to Spotify and just put an artist in. 
Uh, I did a Michael Jackson a few days ago. Jamiroquai is one of my all-time favorites. So occasionally if I need to decompress, I'll just put one of my favorite artists in and let a Spotify shuffle roll and you know, go through the catalog. And then when you get to the end of the catalog, it'll give you songs based on what you've previously liked. Mm -hmm. So music is kind of my getaway. That and uh, hiking, my girlfriend and I, we like to hike. So, you know, usually on the weekend, Sundays, we'll go out and do a six mile in the East Bay and get up in the hills, get my feet on the dirt. And that uh, that's always good for my soul. It's a good cure-all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel you. You know, I coming from a family of musicians, like music's always been such a big part of my life. And I think since with the advent of podcasts, I'm like so podcast heavy in my intake now that I've found in my life, like music take on this almost more utility role. Like I'll, I usually go for a run around like uh, sunset on the days that I'm not like hooping or, or doing something else. And, and it's pretty much all like nineties hip hop that I'm listening to when I run. Nice. Uh, but it really is this kind of, I think, music has such an emotional thing for me. It bring, it's like such an emotionally stimulating event that, uh, you know, putting something, putting it in my earbuds. It's like this whole spiritual journey as I'm running through my neighborhood. Yeah. And, uh, and throughout the day, like, you know, the podcasts or the audiobooks kind of have a more almost level, you know, unless I'm getting too deep into the politics and that can be quite a roller coaster. but yeah. And that's one that I really uh, <laughs> avoid for the most part. Just because, uh, you know, especially when uh, Pumpkinhead was in office, it just it was just so maddening. And honestly, like the state of the union, quote unquote, the America, the America that we live in here in California, in particularly the Bay Area, is the America that I love. But it's not America. Right. The, the real America is the country that gave him 60 million votes or more. And so as I start to go down that rabbit hole, it gets me agitated and it gets me angry because I, you know, and it's not just that side of the aisle. It's both sides of the aisle. The system is broken. Democracy's on life support. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so the more I start to get revved up into it, I start to feel more like Ace Thelen, uh, you know, and oh, yeah, his, I love his takes. He's not wrong, but I don't want to live in a space where, I'm hyper aware of all that's going on. I mean, my community here in Oakland is broken enough and there are things here that need fixing, let alone this country, but shout out Ace. I actually had him on two days ago. We we went nice. super deep into the uh into the political space because I know he's been living there and you know, over the last two years I definitely you know, I, I I think I had my real political moment in my first couple of years of college. You know, we did some protests and stuff during the budget crisis in California, 2009. And, uh, and I realized, I remember I had this moment where I looked around and I'm in this group of people, we're meeting after school and everyone's miserable and stressed. And I, uh, I realized right then and there, you know, this isn't a sustainable thing for me. And, and I kind of yeah. came to the realization that the best way that I can make a positive contribution to the world is by myself being happy by taking care of myself and then yeah. being able to support my friends and my community. And um, I almost feel like these days, you know, I kind of have to think about 
politics like I do sports and, and keep my emotional investment kind of at the same level. They're fascinating. It's very, you know, it's easy to get too caught up in it because it is compelling. But, uh, you know, it's like if you're, if you're sobbing after a, a Dallas loss, you know, on a Thursday, right. Um, you know, that's an exercise in masochism at a certain point. Right. So. Especially when you think about sports and, you know, like this baseball labor dispute, you realize that the owners, the billionaires, they don't care about the fans. They don't care about their own players. So why am I going to get myself all worked up over Brandon Crawford grounding into a double play when the owners themselves don't seem to, to even care? So, you know, you, you get older and you start to realize more about perspective. And I love sports. It's great entertainment to see the best of the best doing their thing on that stage. It's incredible. But even last night, I'm watching that Warrior game and you see how it's going to go. And all right, I would like them to win. Mm-hmm. They didn't. What's for dinner? You know, that, that's kind of <laughs> the way that, you know, that goes for me. That, that sounds like a, that's a great name for a show or a segment just that you know what's for dinner totally (laughs) good way to move on (laughs) yeah you know yeah that do you think this uh i i think i heard you guys talk about this a couple weeks ago but um you know there's been a lot of talk about this team we've got definitely have a lot of potential coming off the bench a lot of young you know stars you think about kaminga you think about moody who looked phenomenal last night um and you know, I'm just curious how much of this team, let's say we don't, we aren't able to win this year, you know, in the biggest game. Do you think we'll be able to keep this squad together? Like, who do you think is going to, you know, who, who will we have to let go? Who's the expendable pieces? Obviously they're all amazing talent, but. Yeah. I think you're going to be able to keep just about everybody, you know, Kaminga and Moody and Wiseman, their contracts aren't up. Iguodala probably will move on. Uh, he's 38 and at the end of his run, you actually uh, said his name on my show. I'm- <laughs> I know I did. I've been saying on the radio too. uh, be elite, Otto Porter. They're probably going to be gone. I don't know if Juan Toscano Anderson or Gary Payton, the second will be back, but the core guys, they'll be back. Wiggins is interesting because you know, his contract is still pretty big. Might they move Wiggins to try to, you know, keep the youth movement going and, stretch out Steph Clay and Draymond's window, but you know, they're in a championship window now. So it's true. You, you got to figure they're going to push as hard as they can. Yeah. I, I, you know, my, my biggest takeaway from the, from this, this streak, you know, what, what are we up to now? Like seven and nine or eight of 10, I think. Eight yeah. Of 10. And yeah. Uh, I just don't see a lot of off ball movement, you know, other than Steph yeah. in a lot of these games, I'm pulling out my hair in the third quarters, watching just everybody standing on the perimeter and then you'll see Wiggins kind of try to take it one-on-one and put up a difficult shot. Sometimes it lands. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, I'm, I'm constantly barking in my pickup basketball games, trying to get people to move (laughs) off ball. That really is the genius of Steph, you know, he, he, and, and it's something that I think, uh, you know, especially when you see like Jordan Poole, he's got such a crazy first step. He's so explosive um, off the, with, with the ball. But, uh, a lot of times I see him get that first step on a defender and then not really have an idea of what to do, you know, like, like 
you watch Steph when he's practicing and he's kind of almost got like a combo of moves. So for Steph, like what is one move in his mind is like six moves that end in a shot. Or exactly. Layup. And I think with someone like Jordan Poole, the talent is there. He's crazy explosive. I'd love to see him develop, you know, that sort of string of like, Art, you know, so it's not like he's thinking about the individual moves, but he just kind of can think about it as one combination. And that's where you get, you know, when you're that much of a veteran, you're thinking four moves ahead. And, uh, you know, that's when when Draymond comes back, it's going to help Steph out even more because Draymond and Steph both in concert have that same sort of uh, syncopation that neither one of them has without the other. It's beautiful. Well, I know that... Uh... We're almost at your time. I I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on, but uh, I got one more thing I wanted to throw at you. Um, I've been, you know, chatting up with 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 some of the Valley homies, letting them know I was having dibs on, and uh, and my boy Neil Chavez of the famous Chavez family, Neil Quest, Neil Quest. I've been loving his Instagram stories. You know, he's about to do this David Goggins challenge over yeah. the weekend. And yeah, I'm gonna have him on the podcast. Um, to talk about it. But I, when I told him you were coming on, uh, I asked him, you know, if he had any questions for you and he submitted, uh, a couple questions. I think it's one referee to another. So I love it with your permission. I'm going to play it through the mic and then, uh, hopefully you can hear it and you can respond. If Perfect. Good to you. Sounds good. I'm excited. I'm happening. Neil Chavez here. Can you hear that? Shouts out to your son quest. I got two questions for you. First one, what's your favorite sequence that you've seen in your 35 years of refing youth basketball? Sequence, play, I'll give you ultimate freedom on that answer. Second question. Should we take one at a time or you want it, you want it all? No, I want it all. I want okay, it all. here we go. What's your preferred method for dealing with those over-caffeinated, usually insecure male types that are just way too hands-on on the coaching and don't just let the kids play but feel like they need to dictate with positions or plays at an age when only half of them can dribble <laughs> and the other half got their shoes untied and they really just want to run around and have fun, yo. So... I appreciate both of you. Hope, Dibs. Love from over here. Peace. <laughs> I, I love him. I'm just getting to know him. I obviously yeah. know his, his dad, and I was telling him on Instagram. We had a little back and forth. I was at his parents' wedding, and uh, beautiful people, his parents. And he's yeah. a great young ref. I'll answer the second one first and the first one second. Perfect. Uh, the over-caffeinated coaches, you really can't do anything other than I make sure that they stay off the court. A lot of times these coaches, they want to get on the court. They want to be barking orders. If they want to bark at their kids, by the way, if you're yelling to a fifth grader or a fourth grader, what to do, they have no ability to hear the instruction, internalize the instruction, and then do what you want them to do in real time. You're wasting your energy. <laughs> by the time you say, pass it to Lucas. He hears pass to Lucas. He looks up, finds Lucas. And by the time he goes to make that pass, 
Lucas isn't open. <laughs> Lucas probably isn't looking anyway. So the over-caffeinated parents now, if they want to come at me, you, <laughs> you get one. You get one statement, at which point you get the stop sign, and I will let the coach know, coach, that's not how it goes today. I'm not that guy. I'm not the referee that you can say, that's a travel, three in the key. No, no, no. We, we're not doing that today. So if they want to be over-caffeinated my way, instant stop sign, first mention, and I will stop the game, and I will single them out in front of the whole gym and let them know in no uncertain terms that's not the way that this is going to go. Bargain Funny bargain. sequence. Yeah. I had one, uh, well, a couple just last week. One, something I've never seen in my entire career, kid goes up for a layup, shoots the ball, and it didn't get wedged in the rim. You know how sometimes the ball gets wedged? Yeah. That's a the dumb other ball. This ball came to rest on top of the back of the rim. Hmm. I'd never seen that. Yeah, that's, I've never seen that. This kid threw it up so soft, and it went bounce, 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 brrr, and it just stopped, and the ball was not moving. I, I waited five seconds. That's a jump ball. The other one I saw where it was a, somewhat of a fast break. The kid passes it down court. A kid's running, turns around to catch it. The ball goes off the kid's head, across the key to another kid, who catches it and throws in a 16-footer. And, it, I mean, it was laughs all around because the kid had no idea that the ball was coming, hits him in the head, carry him to another kid, bucket goes. Header. Total accidental header. And the kid who caught the ball just shot it like, get this thing out of my hands. It just, the CYO, it's like the uh, Keystone Cops. Oh, yeah. You never know what you're going to get. You never know, brother. And what was the, did we get to his, I want to make sure we answered his first question too. No, that was his first one. What was the first sequence? One. Yeah. What sequence. That's right. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I got five games tomorrow at Neil Cummins. So uh, I'm sure there'll be another sequence. Uh, it, it's always, there's always one in every game where you just got to laugh. Do you ever have to run? Do you ever have to run a, a parent or a coach? Oh, out? all the time. You give them the. All the time. Usually when you give them the one warning, like, and a lot of times, Parents, that's a travel. And I'll stop the game and say, how many travels have I not called so far? 45, <laughs> 53, or I'll say, you know, I'll say, I'm not calling traveling today. That's obvious, right? Right, <laughs> right. Or the other one is the coach will, that's a travel. And I'll say, coach, number 11 just traveled four times on the last possession. Did I call it? Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> or I'll say, do you really want me to start calling traveling? Because your kid, 22, travels every time he touches the ball, doesn't he? Don't come down my lane, coach. I mean, if yeah. you want me to call traveling, I will. Yeah. yeah. But 33, he, <laughs> he travels every single time. Yeah. That, that reminds me, uh, you know, me and my brother are pretty avid disc golf players. We, oh. we, like to, we love to hit, uh, we, we head up to Chabot a lot and uh, play on the par three course there. And, we were there the other day. It's a busy day. I think it was a Sunday. So things were getting pretty backed up. And uh, and it's this classic situation where, you know, what's the hold up? You go look. Who's on the green? Okay, it's a, it's a father and his two daughters, you know, probably five and seven. Just really cute little girls. Barely can hold the, the putter, you know. And 
and me and my brother are next in line and we have a, you know, there's, there's a couple dudes behind us who are playing golf, seem a little more serious. They let us play through and then we get stuck behind this guy and there's probably three or four groups behind him and his daughters, you know, and most people who have courtesy will be like, Hey guys, family game, you know, come on through. Yeah. Kind of a smile and a nod. Not this guy though. He had, you know, that kind of ego of like, everyone's going to sit and watch. And so sit and watch we did. And he's just yelling at his daughters. Like I told you choke up on the stick. Oh, you're not loosening your hips. (laughs) oh again you did it again you know and we're just watching this guy just berate you know his daughters are out there with dad like fun day out right uh and just kind of ruining the sport for him you know like like you said they're not all they're taking in is this guy's energy right so you know me and my brother you know do doing what we do we just started roasting him to each other you know because it was hilarious and and sure enough on the next hole we look and the guy stinks. He's got, he's like missing, you know, four foot putts. He's, he's, you know, uh, just shanking his drives. And so it just turns into a roast fest on our end. And another group comes up with us. I'm, I'm taking video that it just, Oh was... my God. <laughs> yeah. It's usually the parents of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and it, and it was very clear that his own insecurity about his playing, you know, it's like we, we, uh, we hate the things about people that remind us about what we don't like about ourselves. Yeah. Seem pretty clear in that regard. Um, well, dude, well, I'm, I appreciate this, Hobie. I'm, yeah, I'm man. down to about 5% on the computer here. So All before good. it, before it, it crashes completely, I just want to say thanks. And uh, man, it's good to see you again, kid. Good to see you too, man. Thank you so much. Like, like I said, it's, it's great having you on. I'm a, you know, I, it's, it's, it's sweet having known you, you know, ever since I was little and you're yeah. and my brother, your hand me down Adidas. Oh. And then, uh, <laughs> it's been cool, you know, you know, getting to watch a coach and, and also now becoming a fan. I'm such a fan of what you do. I appreciate and, it. Uh, it's definitely had a, a big effect on inspiring me to, to try to do, do my thing. So I love it. You're doing great and send my love to the family and, uh, we got to get together soon. That'd be great, man. Well, ha- have a great weekend. And, uh, Go Warriors, and I'll I'll be tuning in next week. Thanks, Hobie. I'll talk to you soon, brother. All right. Much love, Dibs.